Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have become more real to us because we think it helps us draw more power into our lives, and we need that power. I'm your host, Kerry Mulstein, and this is a short cast. I think it will not take too long. I think it's just a short cast on chapters 10 through 12 of Isaiah. I'm doing everything I can to help us get and understand and love Isaiah. I'd like to help the whole church understand Isaiah if I could. Um, and uh, I can't promise that I'll be able to every week uh, put out as much as I'm putting out this week. And of course, no one should feel an obligation to listen to all the stuff I'm putting out. I'm just trying to get out there things that will help those who want to, to do a little bit more. Uh, I, I may not be able to do this much every week, but I, I really wanted to try and, and talk about this one. So let's jump in with chapter 10. We have lots of different podcasts and elements that uh, are, are places where we talk about chapters 7, 8, and 9. Uh, the Emmanuel prophecy and the uh, the prophecy about the government being upon his shoulders and so on. But we don't talk about chapter 10 through 12 as much. And there's some interesting things in there. I'm just going to summarize chapter 10 very quickly. Chapter 10 is God talking about Assyria. And he talks about how Assyria will be a tool in his hands to humble Israel. Right. So Israel is not keeping the covenant. So rather than being protected, they get the reversal. And God will send Assyria against Israel to humble them. But then he has something to say about Assyria. And he says that Assyria has not done this with righteous intents. They've done it out of pride. And so while they have fulfilled God's will and accomplished his purposes, they've not done it in the right way or for the right reasons. And so they also will have to be humbled. They will also um, be uh, punished. And so on. And when that happens, it will happen when Israel is humbled themselves and ready to come back to him. And when that happens, then Israel will come back to him. There's some fantastic imagery describing at the end of, of chapter 10, uh, because some of this applies to Assyria capturing uh, and destroying and capturing and scattering the northern kingdom with roughly 10 tribes. Um but this last part seems to be talking about when Assyria comes into Judah. Uh, so let's just remind ourselves of the timeline. Uh, 730 to 720, uh, really till probably like 717 is when we get the scattering of uh, the northern tribes. And then around 701 is when we get uh, Assyria coming into the southern kingdom. And that's uh, where he destroys every major town except for Jerusalem, and they come and lay siege to Jerusalem. And that's described by going through all these different towns that you get, say, starting in verse uh, 28 of chapter 10, when he comes to Iath and Magron and Michmash and Geba and Ramah and Gibeah and Galim and Laish and Anathoth and uh, even getting up to Nob, which is where I, I used to do some grocery shopping when I lived at the Jerusalem Center. So if you're familiar with the um, geography, and again, you can go to scriptures.byu.edu slash mapscrip, no T on the end of that, just M-A-P-S-C-R-I-P, and uh, it will show you where all these places are, and you'll get the idea that what basically uh, Isaiah is doing is he's describing uh, the army coming from town to town to town, getting to the town that's next door to Jerusalem, and so he just describes all the towns that are near that, so for example, if he were saying that Israel were coming south uh, towards Salt Lake City, then he might say uh, it will go by uh, Provo and Orem and Lehi and Draper and Sandy and Midvale and Murray 
and South Salt Lake and even uh, right up to Temple Square. But then it'll stop, you know, something along those lines. Uh, or we could say something like uh, going from uh, San Diego to Escondido to Murrieta to, uh, and we could just keep marching up the towns, you know, getting uh, into Culver City and then uh, Westwood and, and finally just curving in, you know, Santa Monica and curving in and going to Los Angeles, right? If we wanted to choose a different place or somewhere along those lines. Uh, that's the kind of image that he's painting. But at the end, Assyria will be humbled and God's people will be spared. And all of that leads us to chapter 11. And this is important to understand because we typically think of chapter 11 only as having a millennial fulfillment, but that's just not correct. It, it, part of what it's saying is it's giving imagery to describe what happens when there's suddenly peace in Judah after nearly being destroyed. And then the Assyrians are miraculously destroyed by God and they leave and Judah will prosper for a time and will not have problems for a time. Uh, really until you get to King Josiah and he's killed by the Egyptians. And so uh, it doesn't have all these problems. So uh, you have this, I mean, there are things that happen here and there, but really it's a time of peace and prosperity that they weren't expecting. And that's part of what he's describing in a way that works to describe that and describe the millennium and a number of time periods in between, hopefully also including our own lives. Uh, but there are some other really fun and interesting things to, to go through as we think about chapter 11. We will draw on some Latter-day uh, Restoration imagery to understand this. And again, I want us to emphasize that Isaiah is intended to have more than one fulfillment. So we're going to read some answers that were given to Joseph Smith, just like Nephi had some Nephite interpretations that are absolutely important and crucial and valid interpretations of Isaiah, but not the only interpretations and maybe not even the primary interpretations, but very valid interpretations for the Nephites and for us as we think about the Nephites. Um, so these answers that are given to Joseph Smith about uh, the meaning of Isaiah chapter 11 are, are very important. That doesn't mean that it's limited to only that understanding. All right. And I'm going to show you how that's the case as we go along here. So I'm going to read from section 113, where they ask God in verse one, who is the stem of Jesse spoken of in the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth verses of the 11th chapter of Isaiah? Verily thus saith the Lord, it is Christ. What is the rod spoken of in the first verse of the 11th chapter of Isaiah that should come of the stem of Jesse? Behold, thus saith the Lord, it is a servant in the hands of Christ, who is partly a descendant of Jesse, as well as of Ephraim, or the house of Joseph, on whom there is laid much power. Verse 5. What is the root of Jesse spoken of in the 10th verse of the 11th chapter? Behold, thus saith the Lord, it is a descendant of Jesse, as well as of Joseph, unto whom rightly belongs the priesthood and the keys of the kingdom, for an ensign and for the gathering of my people in the last days. Now, many people have taken that to be this, this descendant of Jesse, who's of Ephraim, uh, and maybe uh, also of Jesse and Ephraim. Uh, we, we typically take that to be Joseph Smith. And so there's a, a very specific latter-day interpretation of these verses, but I think it's not the only valid interpretation, and I think we can gain something as we look at the, the possible different interpretations. And I want to say, as, as I talk about this, this is something that I understood uh, decently well on my own, but as I talked with my, my friend and colleague, Sean Hopkin, about this, he had a way of explaining it, uh, to his students that has helped me understand it even better and helps me explain it better than I was uh, explaining on my own. So I want to give him some credit. So let's look at just chapter 11, verse 1. All right, and we're going to look at the traditional Christian way they would look at this, where we would use uh, synonymous parallelism 
in terms of the poetic device used to uh, to explain this. So let me read this. And there shall come forth a rod. So rod is one of the things we're looking at. Out of the stem, or the stump is probably better, of Jesse. I should just say that with uh, with all of trees, as uh, they get old, and they, they live for a long time, but as they get old and maybe getting close to dying, one of the ways they preserve themselves is they will have, uh, at a lot, as a lot of trees do, little shoots come out of the roots. Those are often called suckers, in, in at least around uh, where I am, by, when I am dealing with people who do with trees, they call these uh, suckers, these little uh, sapling things that shoot out of the roots. Uh, they will also sometimes just have uh, a new branch grow straight out of the, the trunk, that becomes just like a, a new, lively, almost a new tree. And so sometimes that's what he's talking about. And in any case, you have a rod that comes out of the stem of Jesse and then a branch, and this would be in parallel with rod that grows out of his roots. And on the face of it, this is the uh, most uh, likely poetic intention of Isaiah, that the rod and the branch are a similar thing and the stem or the, the, the stump and the roots are the, a similar thing. So... That's how I think most scholars, Christian or Jewish, would interpret this, but uh, as, as being in that kind of parallelism, we'll give you a specific how most of our Christian friends, our other Christian friends, we're certainly Christian, um, how most of them would interpret it in just a minute. But let's look at the restoration uh, when we use section 113, that perspective, that interpretation, then this is really a chiasmus instead of synonymous parallelism. So we've got, again, the rod that comes out of the, the stump. And then we have the branch, and the branch would be in parallel with stump instead of with rod. Uh, the branch will grow out of his roots. So in this interpretation, rod and roots are the same thing, and the stump and the or the stem and the branch are the same thing. So let's try and interpret this, okay? Uh, and there shall come forth a rod or the Messiah. This is this is the traditional Christian parallel, uh, synonymous parallelistic way of interpreting this. All right, there shall come forth a rod or the Messiah out of the stem of Jesse or out of the house of Judah and a branch or the Messiah shall grow out of his roots or the house of David. And that makes perfect sense, right? A Messiah will come from Jesse. Uh, and then he says it again, a Messiah will come from, or a Messiah will come from the house of David. And he says it again, a Messiah will come out of the house of David. We cannot agree more with that interpretation. I think we absolutely agree with that interpretation, 100% correct. Christ the Messiah will come from the house of David and fulfill all the things that are talked about in this chapter, all right? But let's look at this uh, restoration version uh, based on section 113. In this case, we say, there shall come forth a rod or Joseph Smith or a restoration figure out of the stem or stump of, of Jesse, which would be the Messiah or apostate Christianity or something along those lines. And then, and a branch or the Messiah at the second coming shall grow out of his roots or out of what Joseph Smith or the restoration brings about. So again, in this interpretation, the rod is the restoration and, and Joseph Smith and the restoration. And that comes from the Messiah and what the Messiah had set up. But then the Messiah himself will come again because he comes out of the uh, the foundation laid for him by Joseph Smith and the Restoration. We would agree with that 100%. That's absolutely correct. All right. So you can see this. This may be complicated to, to see as uh, I'm just talking through, but I hope you'll spend some time looking at these verses and see how both of these are realistic interpretations that we would agree with. All right. So 
Uh, now we have to ask ourselves in chapter 11, what do the stem and the rod and the branch lead to and what time period is being talked about, uh, especially in verse 10? And, and, and can we reconcile all of this? All right. So let's look again at verse how this goes. We've got both the idea that Christ comes from the house of David and the idea that um, Joseph Smith will come from the Messiah and lay the foundation for the Messiah to come again. All right. We agree with both of those. And both Christ and Joseph Smith will judge the poor, meaning take care of and make things right for the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And, uh, and that means he's going to get rid of the oppressors. So he's getting rid of Assyria is one interpretation of this, but all forms of oppression that we have talked about, and we'll talk more about this next week. And he'll smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and he'll slay the wicked. So this is again, God getting uh, rid of oppressors to give freedom to his people. As I said, we're going to talk about that quite a bit next week. Uh, and righteousness with the girdle of his loins and so on, that, that works well for both Joseph Smith and uh, Christ, but even better for Christ. I love verse six, the wolf shall also dwell with the lamb. Now, if you look over my shoulder, you'll see I have a little statue. It's actually one that my wife had before we got married. Uh, just a little ceramic thing of a lamb with a lion. That's the kind of thing you can buy everywhere. We like that image, even, and it, we think it's based on Isaiah. It is loosely, but they're mixing metaphors because the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And then later it says the lion and the fatling will be together and the lion will eat straw like an ox. So I guess we just don't like wolves in art. So we draw lions with lambs instead. I don't know what's going on there, but anyway, we just kind of mess around with that. But it, it's basically, these are images of peace, right? And, and uh, a nursing child will be able to play with snakes and child children that are older than that will be able to play with snakes and no one's going to hurt each other. Now, in a way, of course, this is, um, this is millennial. There's no doubt this is millennial, but those are, there's also no doubt that it's an image of peace. Remember that Isaiah uses imagery. He's painting a picture to help us feel the peace that will come to Jerusalem after God miraculously spares them. And I hope it paints a picture for us, and this is why I think it's important to realize this. That means it paints a picture not just for the, those days in Judah, in uh, Isaiah's day and Hezekiah's day, and not just for the millennial day. It's a picture for any time any group in Israel, a group of Israelites or an Israelite individual turn to God like the Israelites did in Isaiah's day, the, the Judahites or Jews, and come to him and stay on the covenant path, then they will have this kind of peace, right? He's trying to paint an image for us to help us feel the kind of peace that is available when we come under God's protection. And that's a beautiful image. Again, it doesn't mean we'll never have strife, trouble, or we'll be protected from everything. But there is a peace that is available under in the covenant under God's protection that is beautiful. And Isaiah paints that picture for us in a wonderful day. Then we get to verse 10. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To, the, uh, to it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. So we can certainly see Joseph Smith as an interpretation of that. And us, we're an interpretation of that. We are. Uh, an ensign to the people that Gentiles uh, seek to, and we should have glorious rest. But Christ is also an interpretation of that, right? Uh, people flock to Christ. That's where our light comes from. Joseph Smith's light comes from. So it's all accurate. Uh, then we have all these uh, wonderful images. In that day, the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and Egypt and so on. So in a way, this is describing the return of everyone 
uh, in Isaiah's day and even in several generations thereafter and in the hundreds of years thereafter, uh, there are several times where Jews return and uh, and come back to Jerusalem. But it's also an image of the gathering of Israel in the last days, the great cause that we are involved in. And eventually, this natural rift that's been between Ephraim and Judah will heal and we will work together. And uh, we've seen that historically in some ways, and we're seeing it spiritually in, in many ways. And I love verse 16, there should be an highway for the remnant of his people. I, I think it's at least one interpretation of that is the covenant path. Uh, he's speaking of a way that's, that's prepared for Israel to be gathered. That's really what 16 is about. And, and, and there are some literal ways that happens in Isaiah's day and other time periods where uh, it's made possible. I don't know that a new road is built, although the Persians actually were pretty good at building roads. Romans 2. Uh, and the, the Persians certainly made uh, prepared a way for them to be able to come back. But um, that's, it's not just that. I think it's also for the gathering of Israel in our day and the covenant path. And all this reads to, leads to chapter 12 because of the peace that's available in Isaiah's day, in the millennial day, and in our lives when we are on the covenant path. In that day, chapter 12, in that day, thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee, though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. You can see how Isaiah's day, how much this applies, but I hope it applies in your life as well. Uh, and as we gather Israel, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord Jehovah, that's Yah. Yahweh is what it is. Uh, he just says Jehovah, Jehovah, or kind of a short Jehovah. Jeh, Jehovah is my strength and my song. He has also become my salvation. Therefore, shall you, uh, with joy, shall you draw water out of the wells of salvation. And at that day, you shall say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his doings, sing unto the Lord, cry out, inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. I skipped a couple of things there, but but it's just this amazing um amazing song of um praise to jehovah jehovah's name is uttered 10 times in those few verses uh it's it's a praise and a testimony to him because of the peace that he brings us when we are on the right side of the covenant when we keep the covenant and receive his covenant protection that i am so excited about uh and i think it's just wonderful so um, let me just close with this. Chapter 7 through 12 serve as kind of a unit. It's like an outline of a covenant or a treaty pattern taking place where we're told that good things come when you keep the covenant, bad things come when you break it, and Israel broke it, so bad things are going to come. But then God says it's time to start over, and they should begin again as they did at Sinai during the Exodus. And this new beginning may have to happen a lot of times, but eventually it will be realized again and again and again and most fully in the millennium and the rejoicing will be fully great but it happens a number of times in our own lives in all sorts of ways and of that I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.